Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Corny Charm Podcast. I'm here today with Cindy. She is an advocate for satanic ritual abuse survivors. And I actually just did another podcast this morning on uh, with another satanic ritual abuse survivor. And it might seem kind of strange to people that I'm interviewing. Uh, this is what feels like so many of these because it, it's really emotionally very heavy. I feel like I'm on the verge of tears through all of these stories. Um, and I, I, I was just sharing with, with you why I feel like this is so important for people to hear. So I know it's really hard for a lot of people to accept and acknowledge, you know, or to even hear that this is possible because it is just so incredibly evil and horrific. Um, but it is real. Um, we have lots of evidence. I have now talked to, you know, way more people than I would like who have experienced it firsthand. And I, I think, unfortunately, really does affect everyone because what I'm finding, at least from my research and from the people I've talked to, is that at the tops of a lot of these power structures, whether it be various churches, today we're going to focus on uh, your experience has been with the uh, Mormon church in particular in Utah. Uh, but my experience is that there are many uh, churches, institutions and uh, you know structures that this exists. And it seems the higher up you go in the power ranks, the more likely uh, that this sort of thing might be occurring, which is incredibly unfortunate. But it also means that it affects everyone because it's kind of the engine behind a lot of the corruption that we are globally uh, witnessing and experiencing today. So without further ado, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, I want to clarify that I'm not actually a victim of satanic ritual abuse. Mm -hmm. I'm a certified victim I, I, advocate. Yeah, I said you were an advocate. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I just I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, just wanted to point that out that I'm not a victim, so I don't have any background regarding that. I've worked with dozens of victims who mm -hmm. have been through this, and um, I'm a certified victim advocate in the state of Utah, and I live in Salt Lake City. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. No, I, I do believe I said that you were an advocate, not a victim. You did. You did. I just okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. That that's that's fine. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So why don't you start by telling us how did you get uh involved? Like what made you most people hear this and they either go into complete denial or they they say this is just too much. I don't want to hear it. So you not being personally involved, you decided you wanted to be an advocate when got certified to be an advocate. How did this even come about for you? Yeah, so I started working for a nonprofit organization about five years ago here in Salt Lake City, and we work with victims, um, but in a different area. So the, the agency I work or primarily helps polygamists 
those coming mm -hmm. out of the polygamy communities here in Utah and mm -hmm. mostly across the Western states. Because mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the polygamy groups live uh, from Canada to Mexico and everything in between. Right. So we started receiving stories of uh, our clients coming in and saying, um, there's something I need to tell you. And they're very uh, apprehensive. But then their story just started coming out and coming out and coming out. And mm -hmm. um, I knew this was uh common in the polygamy groups. And so I started thinking, well, I wonder if it happens in the mainstream Mormon church. And so I started uh, doing some research and found out that, yes, unfortunately, it is um, pretty common in the LDS church, uh, particularly in the state of Utah, approximately 60% of the population is Mormon here. Mm -hmm. So we're probably going to see more of this occurring here than any other state. Mm -hmm. uh, as I would think, you know, you would see uh, the, the problem within the Catholic church over in the Eastern states. Um, as we've seen with the spotlight movie, we knew, mm -hmm. knew abuse was going on in there. And so I just started following that rabbit trail and um, I started meeting victims and I did that through um, counselors, social workers, um, just cl clients tend to know other victims. They, mm -hmm. they take to other people who can share the same experience with them. So they mm -hmm. feel validated. And so I started with one woman because her story was in the newspaper in the Salt Lake Tribune. And when I read about her story, I'm like, I need to get a hold of her because she has some powerful information. And that's what I did. So it started out with one victim. Mm -hmm. She she uh, led me to other victims and so on and so on and so forth. And yeah. so I've been meeting with victims for the past four or five years, wow. interviewing them, gathering information, trying to pull the pieces together of this big puzzle. Yeah. I, I was seeing... Uh, patterns and uh, yeah, um, I want to address that too. The patterns and the types of abuse were common amongst all the victims that I talked to. So it didn't matter if these victims were from California, Montana, mm -hmm. uh, wherever they were coming, they were speaking of the exact same types and, and, and patterns of abuse. So I knew it wasn't what they want to call the satanic panic. Mm -hmm. that's popular. That's a lot of people just want to hang their hat on that one. The The problem mm -hmm. is I, all these victims that I had talked to never knew each other, never met each other, but yet they were telling me the exact same thing. Right. So totally invalidates the satanic panic. Um, it also invalidates the fake memories, the false memories. False memory. A too, because false memory syndrome. Yeah, um, because the what happens to these victims is so heinous and that I don't think the human mind could come up with some of these uh, things that had happened to these victims on their yeah. own. Uh, so that was the other reason. The third reason um, that I also believe it's true is because these victims have physical evidence on their body. They have scars. They have brandings. Yeah. They have... Um, 
track marks from drugs that were given to them, IVs that were placed into them time and time again. They have interior wounds such as floppy colon, and that's the floppy colon comes because they were sodomized with large objects on a regular basis. And what it caused is their colon to collapse. And so it causes throughout the rest of their life bowel problems. As you can imagine, it's very, very painful. And so this has been established by forensic nurses and doctors in our area that can prove, yes, something happened to this individual. Um, so I know it to be true for those reasons. Um, I have no reason to believe that this was made up um, because these girls, these, and I don't want to just say girls because this affects boys. Yeah. Um, because the psychological scars are there. And when I communicate with these victims, they react in the same way. Um, most of them have a dissociative uh, identity disorder. And that plays out because uh, most of them within the ritual abuse were programmed. You may have heard the term MKUltra that was used by the CIA in the 60s. Mm -hmm. A lot of those same um, MK Ultra tactics are used on these victims. Yep. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of the same kind of reactions out of them, uh, patterns of behavior out of these victims. And so we have a real phenomenon here that cannot be explained any other way. And so that's what I want to bring awareness and education to your audience. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up MKUltra because that's a point that I raise a lot. And it's interesting, a lot of the SRA uh, victims that I've spoken to tell me that when they bring up MKUltra, people's eyes glaze over and they just tune out. And that surprises me because I would kind of expect that, not, not that I'm happy about it, but I would kind of expect that when you talk about satanic ritual abuse. But when you talk about MKUltra, I mean, we have... Granted, a lot of the documents have been lost or we don't know exactly what happened to them, uh, but we don't have them or they're still classified. But we have a lot of declassified documents that are concrete evidence and it, it, they're really easy to find. I mean, a quick Google search and they're really incriminating and really disturbing. So I find it really uh it's just very odd that so many people do check out and don't believe that it exists because, I mean, this is not it's not a theory. You know, it's, it's right there in plain writing. Um, now, the, I guess where the dispute may lie is that they claim that, the you know, technically MKUltra ended right in the 70s. Uh, but uh, from talking to so many of these victims, it does seem that a lot of the while the uh, name MK Ultra may have ended. It seems like a lot of the tactics that were utilized during that period uh, may be continuing to uh, be utilized. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> what it, I, I can only report, you decide. So, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what my clients have said. I'm not going to get uh, too graphic on you, but okay. I just people to understand what are the types of abuse these victims go through. Mm -hmm. So um, in this particular case, all my victims were abused in the LDS church. They were abused in temples, steakhouses, and meeting places. So um, 
usually what happens is they usually have a parent that's complicit in it, who belongs to the church. And the parent allows their child to be separated from them for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it will be a bishop that comes to the child's parents and say, Susie's very gifted in this area. We want to hone in on that skill. Let her come with us and we'll take her to the church and we're going to give her piano lessons or we're going to, you know, help her out in some way, expand her skills. Damn. And so the parents are like, great, that's fantastic. Here, here's Susie, here's Johnny. And so um, they'll take them to the different meeting houses and they will bring them in to usually an inner room with no windows or in, in most cases of my clients, they've been taken down to the basements. Um, once they're brought down there, a lot of them are stripped. They're put in cages um, and they're called as needed. So they'll have uh, the kids come into usually a bigger room. There is a group of men, sometimes women, but mostly it's men, about a group of 12 men. They will be wearing robes with hoods. There may or may not be candles in the room. Uh, they will be chanting. Uh, the children will be brought in. Sometimes they're, the children themselves are dressed in white robes, or in some cases they were dressed up like in white dresses with satin sashes and gloves. And um, sometimes the men in the room are dressed in costume and they like to role play. Uh, but usually what happens is there's usually one child selected that gets strapped down to the altar and then they proceed to rape and torture that child until the next child is called upon. So um, any, any matter of things could be happening to this child. They have resurrection ceremonies where they actually bring in vats of water and the child is dunked underwater till they drowned. And then at a certain period of time, they bring the child back to life. So a lot of these kids uh, report an out-of-body experience and they can actually hover over their, their uh, bodies and see that they're there. And um, the doctors in the room, because there's always a doctor involved, who knows exactly when to resurrect these children or bring them back. And so that's one particular ceremony they have. Um, they will also have, um, they will have a ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, where the child is then married to Satan. Uh, usually at this time, they're given a new name. Uh -huh. uh, and there are other ceremonies that require the child to be actually buried alive. And so they suffocate, they come out of their bodies, they go back in their bodies, they revive them. And it's obviously a terrifying experience. And <clears throat> so there are a lot of rituals done during these sessions where the people that are participating are, are, are saying things. Um, a lot of times they evoke Satan himself. They might call him Lord or God, but they're really referring to Lucifer. Um, but they will tell the children that what's happening to them is good. And that's what God wants from them. And that will be pleasing to God if you submit yourself. So the children are gained rape. 
um, all kinds of cutting and druggings going on because they want the children to be complicit and submissive at the same time. So all of my clients have been drugged before the, the rituals and they use a variety of methods. Usually special K is what's used with, which is my understanding is ketamine and morphine uh, because it has uh, an effect. It, 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 um, what's the word? It, it kind of helps them to uh, helps erase their memory. So when they wake back Amnesiatic up. Amnesiatic effect. Yeah. 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 So they, because they don't want, obviously, they don't want the child to remember what's going on to them because they might talk. Right. And, and then also they don't want the, the child to be screaming and, you know, flailing about why they're trying to perform these uh, rituals on them. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason for drugging the children. And so often I see in my clients is they're going to have track marks. Um, either here or they'll start an IV. Um, and so you can usually that that's, that's one of the scars that it, it is lasting. Um, so they take turns with these kids and until they're done and then they simply clean them up, put them in fresh new clothes and send them home. So let's, the next time that they do this, um, it's it's pretty disturbing uh, that any human could do this to a child. I, I do not understand it. I just I do not understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do understand is the people that are involved in this do it for power, pleasure, uh, money, and so in addition to raping and torturing. Uh, children. They also um, do other crimes. So what I am suggesting to you and what I suggest what happens in a lot of these churches is that the LDS church is actually trafficking children internationally. So um, you have to look at their 501c3 status and why they've been able to keep that status despite the fact that they own multi-billion dollar companies. So it's been speculated that the church is actually worth a half a trillion dollars. Uh, they used to own Coca-Cola. They used to own casinos. I mean, I think it's very hypocritical that they own these, these businesses that they claim is not righteous. Uh, they, they own communication broadcasting stations. Um, they own banks. They own Zions Bank for decades. Uh, they actually started Zions Bank. So uh, I find that interesting, but that's a great way to launder money. Mm. Um, and, and of course, Zions Bank, Bank has also been accused of laundering money. In fact, the SEC investigated them in 2012, 2013, and they were found guilty of laundering money they put it in a different way but they were found guilty of that and they had to pay a fine so it makes it very easy to understand that this this is this is a church that runs itself like a corporation mm -hmm. and so what my clients have told me is that they have been moved around the world uh girls will be flown to europe 
and they've been used in rituals over in Europe. They've been uh, tortured and raped by royalty, diplomats, uh, country presidents, popes, um, celebrities. Yeah, uh, they've been uh, abused within corporations such as Disney. Um, yeah, it's definitely a very lucrative business. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, lots of drugs are moving back and forth mm -hmm. as well. So um, about three years ago, well, it might be longer than that, in 2019, I gathered up a group of um, victims and I asked them if they would like to um, bring charges against their perpetrators in the church. And they said, yes. So I had contacted Washington, D.C., uh, Department of Homeland Security, and I filed a report. And I was very matter of fact about it. I said, you know, I've, I've spoken to dozens of victims and there are 20 of them that would like to come forward and they would like uh, an investigation to be started. And I did not think I would ever get a call, but I got a call from Washington, D.C. And they said, well, we're going to refer this to Department of Homeland Security in the state of Utah. And the very next day, I had an agent calling me and wow. he's going to take your case. And I'm like, really? Wow. We're in Utah. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and he said, <laughs> right. he said, yeah, he goes, me and my agent, we're not Mormons. So they assigned us to this task. And I thought, oh, this is fabulous. So I, I gathered all the the clients I had and uh, with their permission, I was able to forward DHS um, their statements they submitted, their contact information. Oh. And so they started contacting each of the clients and they were getting the clients were getting so thrilled that they were actually looking into this. Well, two to three weeks into the investigation, I started getting questions from the agents. How much can we trust these victims? You know, what are their mental capacity? And I was like, well, wh why are you asking? And well, we're trying to talk to some of them and we just don't know if we can trust what they're saying. I'm like, oh, I've talked to every one of them. I know them. They are factual. They, they've given me evidence that uh, I think prove because not only is it, it's a, their testimony that that is evidence itself. We actually had physical evidence. Um, there are victims who had documents from the LDS church on LDS letterhead. We have confession papers. We have uh, police reports. Uh, we actually, some of the clients took me to places where they were abused and I took DNA swabs and I started swabbing places up, taking photos. We collected bottles and uh, different devices that were used in ritual booths that were left laying around. And so I submitted this to DHS and it, it took a while, long time. Um, I started getting some reports from my victims that the agents were kind of insensitive and uh, kind of arrogant. And um, 
things started going downhill after that. And I, I actually confronted my agents and they're mm-hmm. like, we know what you're talking about. We've treated these victims with respect, but that's not what I was hearing from the victims. And then finally they came to me and said, well, we're just going to drop it all. We're not going to go any further. And I'm like, what? You've only talked to seven victims. And we're like, yeah, we've been told that we need to drop all these cases. And they did after two months, you know, something that should have took a year to investigate thoroughly. uh, They dropped after two months. And one of the agents actually told me he was pressured to drop the cases by his boss who was Mormon and his coworkers who were Mormon. And I said, Oh, is it because of who it may involved high up in the church? And he didn't say anything. And I'm like, I'm going to then assume that's exactly what happened. The two agents actually got reassigned shortly after that. And so, um, I definitely think they were told to stop by politicians in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, the attorney general's office, I'm, I'm pretty sure they had counsel with them as well. And um, yeah, that was the end of it. And so we have a problem here in Utah since the Mormon church runs the state most of our politicians are Mormon, mm-hmm. or they are at least approved by the Mormon church. In fact, I was told that whenever there's new legislation up for vote, that the quorum of 12 will actually vote on it first and then tell our politicians how to vote accordingly. Oh. So um, if that's true, we're in big trouble. We're mm-hmm. in big trouble. Uh, my my clients will tell you that they have brought their cases individually to police departments, to lawyers, to the attorney general. Mm -hmm. Time after time, after time, their cases were dismissed, lost, um, disapproved, thrown out. Um, Even when they had evidence, um, it's very perplexing to me. So, um, I'm not going to come out and say our system's corrupt, but there's definitely things that need to be checked out here, I believe, in the judicial mm-hmm. system. And um, it's impeded us from trying to get any more prosecution uh, towards perpetrators that have been outlined. Now, currently, there is a case going on here by the Utah Sheriff's Office in Provo. Uh, they are looking at ritual abuse cases. Mm-hmm. So I hope that actually brings some things to light and that they'll actually be able to prosecute some of these perpetrators. But yeah. um, I'm not feeling very hopeful, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Why don't you feel very hopeful about that? Uh, because... And this is where I'm going to get probably myself in trouble. But to me, the higher ups in the LDS church are very corrupt. And since they run the state, 
they call the shots and they tell law officers to stand down. They tell judges to stand down. They tell politicians to stand down. And so nothing gets done here because of that, because my clients have named LDS presidents who are involved in this. The quorum of 12 is involved. Every member of the quorum 12 has been listed by my victims. Um, the council of 70, uh, and usually what it is, is it's state president level to on up is, is mm. where it's at. Um, bishops are sometimes involved as well, but it seems to be, it seems to be pushed, I guess. Um, pushed by the higher ups within the hierarchy, just as you suggested with other religions as well. Cause I know this is also happening in the Catholic church. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I, I was, one of my clients actually got raped by Pope Paul the sixth here in Salt Lake city at the cathedral, cathedral of Madeline in the basement. Wow. Yeah. And people wow. will say, Oh, that's impossible. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, very yeah. possible. Um, so my victims, like I said, celebrities, I have one victim who was raped by um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Frank Sinatra. Um, that's their report. That's I'm not claiming that. That's what they've told me. Sure. So, Fair. Yeah. Um, and so that links then the church with Hollywood. Right. This is what I was. With the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And the reasons for that. They're going to tell you, oh, it's a partnership of faith, interfaith. Let's all get together, sing Kumbaya. But that's not really what's going on here. So, and I, I think we all need to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would add, yes, from at least from what I have heard from speaking to survivors and from the research that I've done, it does seem to be happening in many institutions, many religious institutions, um, it, certainly in Hollywood, uh, music industry, uh, politics, the, the political uh, structures, governments. Uh, really, it seems to be anywhere that there is elite power structures, it seems to be. And I think and this is just my speculation, but there does seem to be plenty of evidence to support that that is kind of the unifying force between the elite power structures. And, uh, you know, I think people keep uh, looking for a boogeyman uh, religion or a boogeyman uh, entity. And, uh, you know, what I keep trying to paint the picture is that I don't know that there's one boogeyman, but it does appear that there's a shared worldview. And this worldview does seem to be occultic, satanic, Gnostic, hermetic, wh- whatever label you want to put on it. And th- all of those have slight variations, but they're they're pretty similar in their shared worldview. And they do uh, carry out actions and rituals that are all very similar to the kinds of things that we keep hearing. So pretty hard to keep denying it. You know, you can bury your head in the sand as 
many times you want, but it's not going to go away. If this is real, this keeps coming up and you keep hearing and seeing direct, con- you know, concrete evidence that people are experiencing this. So I was going to say I was, I was hopeful about the case, mostly because, uh, of course, you know, I want this to, to be I want justice to be served and, you know, some sort of uh, uh, rectification to happen there. But also for it to set the precedence that maybe, you know, because I don't think that the Mormon Church is unique in this. I don't think that they're the only ones. So if there were some sort of legal precedent that could be set, that could kind of set uh, perhaps a snowball to get some sort of uh, justice and uh, healing. Because I, I do think this is, as I said earlier, kind of an engine behind so much of the corruption that we're witnessing globally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the only reason I pick in on Mormons is because mm-hmm. I live in Utah. No, I, I get it. I get it. And it's good to start somewhere, somewhere where, especially where you are and where you have direct concrete uh, connection so yeah. I, I think that that's no, I I think that's great. You, it, you know, it's really easy to theorize about things that, that are far away and abstract. Right. But if you're right there and you can dig into, uh, talk, you know, personally talking to the victim, personally uh, witnessing evidence, then, yeah, it's a great place to to try and uh, do something about this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping you know, um, we're, we just keep picking at it and picking at it. And hopefully with the help of media, which is why I'm on here today, mm. that as people, uh, their eyes are open to what is happening. Right. They will start looking around and noticing, hey, I need to pay more attention to where kids go and who they're spending their time with, which is one of the things I wanted to suggest. Uh, I, I, I'm a parent myself. Mm. Um I think parents are too lax in who they live their leave their child with yep. in religious buildings and organizations. You cannot trust anyone these days. Right. And I mean that because these perpetrators, I have spoken to perpetrators, I have looked into their eyes. They come across as the most loving kindly grandpas oh you never think they did anything wrong they've never heard a fly and there are some of the worst sinister ones around right they're actually pulling the strings on everything and keeping it going and organized and everything and this is a well-organized system mm-hmm. they actually develop databases of kids so they have your child's hair color, eye color, weight, characteristics, and their database. And so they can match your child up with a perpetrator within the church. Um, And so if a particular person wants a blue-eyed blonde girl, which is quite common here in Utah, um, they can order that child up and they will be flown jet set around the world or delivered by various means, um, and they're used up and sent back. Um, sometimes they're not sent back. They're used and you never see them again because they were sacrificed on an altar. And that's the reality. So um, these kids eventually, after these men are done with them, they will tie them down and, yeah, they will cut them open 
and 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 they will do things to their body. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the United States Census Bureau set a representative out here two years ago. He was from New York and he spoke at the Capitol and I had a, um, a colleague who attended that and he spoke to her privately because she was saying, hey, I really liked your presentation. And and she said, you mentioned something about that there's a million kids missing in Utah. And she goes, how is that possible? And he goes, yeah, he goes, I, de- I didn't want to really go into that, but that's part of the reason why they sent me out here to Utah, because we're missing one million children in the state of Utah. And that's one over a million. Yes. Over a period of several years. I don't recall like if it was over two decades or three decades, but he's like, where are all these kids going? What's happening to them? Um, and now we're starting to realize what's happening to them. Um, so, um, yeah, I think there's more than enough evidence and cause for concern for concern for the federal level to be involved, to get involved, because that's really where we're at right now. Right. We can't trust the state to actually do their job mm-hmm. to, to prosecute and go after these guys. We're, we're asking help now from the outside. Right. Um, I'm looking for any I and I'm serious about this. I am looking for any retired PI, retired FBI, retired CIA who could come alongside us and do some investigations privately on our own to gather evidence. That's what we're looking for. I'm also looking for lawyers on the outside who are maybe licensed in the state of Utah, because here's one of the things I've done. I have contacted so many lawyers in this state, asking them if they would take on these cases in civil litigation, and they Mm -hmm. will not touch this. They're like, are you kidding me? These are career ending type of cases. There is no way we're going to do this. We will be ruined. And so that's why I'm looking for lawyers outside of the state of Utah. Um, I need all the help I can get to get attention on this matter. What what are your uh, hopes or thoughts about, uh, you know, people at the federal level getting involved and uh, advocating? Well, so I know there are some good guys. There there have to be. Right. I I always say people keep saying spiritual battle. I'm like, if it's spiritual battle, that means they're good and evil. Right. It takes two to tango. So absolutely. What I need the public's help with is to get me in contact with these good guys within the these organizations. Right. Because. Yeah. yeah, I I just don't have a lot of contacts outside of the state. And that's what I need help with. And. Uh, I've tried myself. Uh, I have been unsuccessful. Um, right. I contacted the Department of Justice and didn't get any response. Um, so, yeah, I, I just really need uh, some good sources to work with. Yeah. And yeah. some good, courageous people to to stand up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I do think both oh so sorry uh, i was just going to say i do think there are good guys absolutely in all of those organizations uh i i mean one that that only makes logical sense i i do think though because there are both 
and there is a lot of corruption. Uh, it, it takes a lot of courage for the good guys to stand up. And then yeah. that is really what's needed. So, yeah. And, and um, that's why I'm looking for retired guys because they yeah. have pensions and they, <laughs> the government can't threaten them. And so working with retired guys are great. I love that they have all the knowledge and the know-how. Um, they have all the tricks. They know what we can get away with and what we can't. What I mean that by that is, you know, there's certain rules that protect perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Criminal justice for a reason. Mm -hmm. Justice system has been set up to protect perpetrators, the criminal. Right. And so... It's I have wanted to track perpetrators. I knew were sex trafficking children. I had hard evidence. The police wouldn't go after them. And so one of my clients was in fear of her life. Her, her dad was a major sex trafficker and I had his phone number. And all I wanted to do was just track to see where he was because she was terrified. We had put her in a safe house. We wanted to make sure he wasn't in the area and that he wasn't going to act on his threats and I called the police department. They're like, no, we can't do that. That's illegal. I'm like, well, I know you guys do this. I know you trace people. He goes, well, we can only do that if it's a homicide. And I'm like, wait a second. You're telling me my client has to be dead first before you'll do anything and track this guy down. And he's like, yeah, that's the way it is. Unless you get a court order by a judge. And I said, well, of course I don't have that. So um, the, the, the other curious thing too, is, uh, all my clients were victimized when they were children. And so either family members are involved and got them into this, or their bishops got them involved or somebody at the church. I'm not, I know there are great bishops out there. I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize, but that's usually where grooming takes place is at primary school. The bishops pull the kids out of primary. They take them to their office and they're grooming mm -hmm. those kids. And then eventually after grooming, 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 things start to happen to these kids that should not be happening behind closed doors. And so not to get off on that, but I, no, I, no, it's... Um, I'm going on a rabbit trail now, but th that is one of the things I wanted to bring up to is how the churches. And I'm not just talking about Mormon. I don't care mm -hmm. Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, uh, Buddhist, whatever you mm -hmm. you aspire to. Um, mm -hmm. There needs to be safety structures put in place at ch yeah. uh, places of worship. Yeah. And so what where the LDS church has failed is that they allow children to be brought into their bishop's office behind closed doors with no parents. No other adult. It's just that bishop and that child. And anything could happen. Anything could go wrong in that scenario. Uh, children are brought into their bishop's office for interviews at age eight. And again, at age 12, they are questioned. And this, and you can also look up Samyon is an, uh, a man who is was excommunicated from the LDS church. And he started bringing to life all these kind of perverted questions these bishops were asking children. These uh -huh. bishops have asked children, what color of underwear do you have? How many times have you masturbated? We're talking eight-year-olds here. 
Um, and you can you can research Sam Young. Uh, you can get more information on that. But these are the type of questions that some of these bishops are asking these children. And then uh, it's the parents are know that this is happening as far as they know their kids are being questioned. They may not know the exact type of questions, but they know their child's being questioned. They know they're behind closed doors by themselves. And this is such an unsafe environment. But they need to stop that immediately. They need to do background checks on anybody that's taking care of your child in the church. So if um, someone's working with your child uh, that is the ministry leader, the youth minister, um, they need to have background checks. Me, as a victim advocate, I have to have background checks. I have to go through, get my fingerprints taken, Um, all this background information by the FBI to make sure that I'm safe and suitable to be around children. So why not churches? Right. The other problem with uh, the LDS church is that if they have a special hotline, it's a 1-800 number, it's nationwide, anybody can call in. So if you want to report that you've been abused within the church or by a clergy member, you call this 1-800 number. You can call the 1-800 number for a lot of different family issues. Mm-hmm. So they cover a wide gamut of issues uh, to help their church members. But if you mention that you were physically or sexually abused, they don't send you to the police to report. They don't send you to counselors to talk to. They will give you the phone number or they will actually transfer you to the LDS Church's law office, Kirkton and McConkie, who's located here in Salt Lake City. You will be actually questioned by a legal assistant, paralegal assistant about the abuse. And then you'll be told what to do, what are the next steps. But this is what victims have told me has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had victims say when they report that they have been threatened by either church leadership or Kirkton and McConkie for coming forward and they have been threatened with endowments being taken from them. Uh, Temple recommends being removed, uh, excommunicated. They have been threatened with their life if they talk. So this goes deep. It goes very yeah. deep. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that I, I think another way to protect children is, you know, if if they have an abuse situation. They need to tell membership to call the police immediately. That is the number one priority. Um, So, yeah, I mean, those to me are just some basic common sense that you can implement in any church uh, to keep your children safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's just watching your kids carefully who they're with. Even if it's not within the church, where are they spending the night at? Whose friend's house? Mm-hmm. I've had kids who were perpetrated by their best friend's father. Sure. So it's, it's parents just have to be vigilant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had brought up, uh, you know, some of the uh, parents being complicit yes. in some of this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, 
And you, we had also discussed uh, MK Ultra earlier, and that, I think that's kind of a parallel. Uh, you know, Project Monarch. They take the you're familiar with it. It's a, where it's a gen, intergenerational abuse, and they typically will traumatize the the you know the the child in utero uh, in order to perpetuate this. It, it, it's easier to mind control uh, someone who has been. Uh, abused. The, so they, they typically do select these uh, families that have, have that uh, history. So uh, a lot of, a lot of times it's, it's come. So it's interesting to hear you say that that's happening in this case as well. So it seems to be a common theme where, cause I, and I know there are studies that have been done as well, where uh, trauma can be passed down like genetically. So it, it makes sense that again, then then the child would then have the uh, programming already uh, or, or conditioning that makes them more susceptible to being a victim. Absolutely, absolutely. This is generational. This has been going on for decades, centuries. Actually, it's been going on millennia. for <laughs> thousands of years. Yeah, millennia, <laughs> yeah. As far as the Mormon church, it started in the early 1800s. So. Right, right going on for a couple centuries. But yeah, I have worked, my youngest client was 15. The oldest client I've worked with is 75. Wow. So I, I've heard stories that happened in the 60s all the way up to present day. So mm-hmm. I know it's generational. Usually the parents were also abused. Mm-hmm. So they, they have children and, and the children get abused. They're conditioned. The, the, like you said, the, genetics um all play a part in that um and so parents are willingly are giving up their children to be abused that's another component of this mm-hmm. it's all uh parents that are unaware there there are parents who went through this and so they feel it's a duty uh to perpetuate it um they're also giving <clears throat> favors and uh, they work themselves up the echelon, uh, the yeah, up the ladder uh, to more and more power within the church if they do certain things and give up their children. It's also a money-making scheme. A lot of my clients were traded for money and just favors. Um, so in that case, the parents actually deliver the kids to the ritual sites. So... Um, that's going on too. Yeah. And, and I hear this theme repeatedly and and it is, it's uh, traded for money, for power, for uh, clout. Yeah. 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 Um, There's a particular gentleman now that has, uh, I think he's in jail still, the sheriff's office um, arrested him. Um, his name's David Hamblin. Okay. And he, um, <clears throat> one of the victims who submitted her, actually, there were three sisters, from what I understand. The parents horrifically abused them based on their testimony that I have read. Um, and you can read this in articles in the Salt Lake Tribune uh, that they have this gentleman in custody. And the things that him and his wife did. So it's moms too that are involved. They did to these three little girls are so sick, so disgusting. I won't repeat them, but 
the grossest, most disgusting things you can do to a human being uh, has been done uh, to these children. And it was relentless. It was day in, day out for all their childhood. And unfortunately, now those women are elsewhere and they're getting healing. But uh, if if your audience goes and looks for those articles, they can probably, if they do some uh, research, they can find those testimonies of those three girls. And then you'll have a very good idea of what happens to these kids. But this guy, I am hoping that he is prosecuted and thrown to jail with the key thrown away and he never gets out again because he is dangerous, right. very dangerous man. Yeah. So um, the reason, uh, uh, yeah, and if you read between the lines in the news articles, you're going to find out that this David Hamlin guy has friends in high places. We'll put it that way. Mm. Who wouldn't want anybody to find out who they are. Right. And you can read into that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot at stake. Sure. Of course. Of course. So where, where are you at with, uh, with, yeah, with everything, I guess, like, are you trying, you said you're trying to bring a case forth. Um, yeah. Has there, what, what stage is that in? Um, so we're at the very beginning stages. Right. I want to be able to announce to everybody this law firm that's going to be taking these cases and going to taking the, the LDS church to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't do that yet because all the details and how it's going to be handled hasn't been handed down to, to me yet. Sure. But once that happens, I'm going to use the floodlit.org um, mm-hmm. as a platform to announce that they are taking victims. Um and then, of course, I'm going to disseminate that information to all the clients I work for. And I'm going to tell them to tell their family and friends and anybody and everybody who's been involved uh, to spread the word about that. So that would be great if that actually gets off the ground. Yeah. Um, the second thing is if you're a victim and you'd like to talk to me about your experience um, I would love to hear your story. Uh, you can contact me at utahcindy at protonmail.com. And I would love to spend some time with you learning about your particular case and uh, seeing if we can get a group of clients together and and, and bring a criminal, criminal case. Uh, yeah. Right now, we need hard evidence, audio, uh, video, uh, any kind of print evidence like documents, um, police reports that that we could provide. I'm in touch with the Utah Sheriff's Office. I have gr- direct contact to the investigators there. And so if any of your li- listening audience were abused in Utah County, it's got to mm-hmm. be very specific to Utah County in Utah, please contact me. Uh, this, it could blow this case wide open. So, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I'm doing all I can, uh, for, for victims because I, myself, I could not imagine being in their position. Oh gosh, no. I, and I would want somebody on my side, helping me along. There is such a high suicide rate with this community. I Uh, imagine. Yeah. Utah has one of the highest suicide rates among 10 to 17 year olds. That's a fact. 
Wow. Yeah. They want to tell you that the suicide rate here in Utah is for other reasons. But um, if, if you do your research, you're going to find out that a lot of it has to do with victims of ritual abuse. Um, in fact, two years ago, one high school lost seven kids to suicide in one year. So, and it's a domino effect too. So that's why I'm very vigilant about contacting victims and trying to get us together to do something about this so we can stop this. Uh, it's a huge, huge issue here. Yeah. 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 It sounds like it. Wow. That's, that's really tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a straight shooter. I'm going yeah. to tell your audience the truth. They can decide what they want to believe. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably not the savviest speaker, but I just wanted to, to let people know there's people who care out there about you and want to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're very articulate and I think you, you've, uh, you've spoken very well uh, and I'm really, really grateful for what you're doing. I think that it's very much needed and uh, I, I'm sure that the victims you've worked with already have been incredibly grateful. I'm curious a little bit about how you work with them. Uh, usually it's a phone call. Okay. Them in person. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, a victim is coming out for the first time. They're very, yeah. first of all, they're super sensitive because they've sure. been trying to be super sensitive. Secondly, very untrusting. Right. So a lot of them want to start out with just a phone call because they feel more comfortable in their own home talking about the situation. Sure. I will ask them if I can take notes. Uh, I will tell them at any particular time, if they start to get triggered, we'll stop the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just very sensitive to their needs and, um, you know, they, they control the narrative between mm-hmm. us, not me. I'll ask questions. They can decide to answer those questions or not. Mm-hmm. And they can stop the interview whenever they want. Mm-hmm. And after that, we'll, if they feel comfortable with me, then we'll take steps to meet in person. Cause I want to see their faces. Yeah. You know? Uh, every one of them are precious, and I, I want to. I want a face with a name. I want that face and a name and the story together. Right. And we usually meet, and we never meet on our own. There's usually me and another victim advocate. Uh, we never introduce men because they've all been abused by men mostly. Mm-hmm. So, and you never know what can happen in an interview. Because some of them have DID and if they get yeah. triggered and they they launch into another personality, that personality could be dangerous. Sure. Um, and so we've had personalities come forward that have threatened our safety. And so we're very careful mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we take it at the client's speed. They, like I said, they they decide the narrative, not us. And mm-hmm. then we work on a plan. What can we do? How can we help? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What kind of progress have you seen and what do you find is most effective in helping them? You know what? Every one of them tells me is that 
it's so important to them to hear, to tell their story and they know someone believes them. They're so grateful. Cindy, yeah. I told you my story. I told you my secret and you believed me. You validated me. And I guess that's what spurs me on to go and go and go because I'm like, what? That's too simple. I thought mm-hmm. I was a big case on your behalf and win you millions. Are you serious? And they're like, no, it's just you listening and taking the time and just tell me I'm not crazy. Tell me I'm, and, and when I tell that, when I get into interviews with them, I'm like, this is normal. You are normal and you're an amazing per- person and you are precious. And what happened to you was so wrong. And I am so sorry. I'm profoundly sorry what happened to you. Um, and so, yeah. And then we usually end up becoming friends and then there you go. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I I keep in touch with a lot of my clients on a regular basis because I just love them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Do you see, uh, the dissociative personalities integrate at any point? Um, I don't usually see that because that's the, um, job of our counselors and sure. social workers. So I don't get to see that. You'd be surprised. Um, a lot of clients do not want to inter- integrate. Really? Yeah. And, and we're really pro integration because that is really when you start to see some healing going totally. on. Totally. That's, that's and what so, I've witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. And so we push for that. Yeah. But a lot of them are like, no, hands off my personalities. I love them. They're my friends. And so we respect that. If if they don't want to integrate, that's mm-hmm. fine. Another time, but we really we really support integration. Sure. So we put them in touch with counselors that can help walk through that with them. Right. Oh. Right. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's so, great. Wow. Well, do you have any any other kind of I don't know things you want to leave us with? I. You gave some great tips for parents, whether they're in the Mormon church in Utah or not. I I think that that is really great advice for parents to be, you know, really aware of leaving their children with anyone. Um, So, yeah, that was really great. I don't know if you have any other kinds of uh, suggestions for people and yeah, what they can do. Yeah, actually, we're holding a conference in January on the 11th. Okay. It's a webinar. So yeah. anybody in the country can join it. Great. So my organization is sponsoring it along with the University of Utah. And mm-hmm. so it's going to actually be at the University of Utah campus, but we're also right. offering the webinar option. So this this conference was put together to train professionals on how to deal with victims of ritual abuse. So it's primarily psychologists, psychiatrists, right. uh, social counselors who are going to be attending, but survivors are also welcome to join the event. Mm-hmm. And so um, the there is an entry fee and it's quite steep for professionals, but we can give survivors a super discount for 25 bucks. They can join the webinar. It's from mm-hmm. 830 till 5 p.m. And January 11th, which is on a Wednesday, and we would love to have as many survivors um, join this webinar. And so the the information it's, it's on our website. It's tinyurl.org 
facebook.com slash RSA 23 info, I N F O. So if you go there, um, you'll get all the details on the conference. Uh, you will also be able to apply for the special discount right for survivors. So um, I'm personally involved in it. And so I'm pretty proud. Uh, this was the brainchild of a survivor who came forward and said, we got to provide survivors with resources because this has to be dealt with in our state. And so she uh, was the brave soul that stepped up and said, I'm going to start this. So wow. I'm about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's so great that you're uh, guiding a professional on how to work with it. The very few. Uh, in fact, the uh, one of the survivors I spoke with today was telling me that most of her therapists had never heard of Satan ritual abuse. So they really didn't know like sexual abuse. OK, we can we can work with you on that, you know, uh, you know, all sorts of abuse. They, and they kind of treated it just as a an abuse survivor. But yeah. th this is a little bit. This is way, way, yeah, above yeah. and beyond type of abuse that it takes a very specialized, trained professional to address this issue. So, yeah, if we're we're looking, you know, just to start, we're looking for counselors that specialize in trauma therapy first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they got to go through other steps of training beyond that because this is a special crowd. Sure. Special community, uh, they have to be handled with uh, a lot of care. So, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. I, that's interesting that you're starting with a trauma therapy specialist because I, I, in my theory on the whole thing is that the, you know, while I think the techniques and tactics have been utilized, uh, you know, millennia <laughs> most likely, I, I think that the kind of more formal. Uh, orchestration of it probably started with, uh, you know, some of the uh, shell shock therapy, trauma-based mind control therapy that was done with the Tavistock Institute. So yeah, that, that's kind of, I feel, I see that as kind of like the progenitor to the official MK Ultra. So, and that was trauma-based mind control. So it's all centered around uh, trauma. And if you are familiar with dealing with uh, trauma victims, then it makes sense that you would have a little bit of a leg up in uh, working with some of these people. Have a leg up, right? Yeah. yeah. Even our counselors that I work with uh, are, are just learning new stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, every once in a while, I come across something that goes, wow, I was not expecting that. So, yeah, we uh, bounce ideas off each other, or th they do. They uh, sure. they try to get as much training as they can in this area. Great, great, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and that is uh, so for the you, you you just said the website, so they can just go to that and get tickets to yeah. the event, and it's January eleventh. Yes, okay. January eleventh, and so professionals can get CEU credits. Okay. I, I forget how many, but that will be included in the price of your ticket. Right. And then, uh, but survivors can also apply for a scholarship to get in for $25. And so that information is on the website. And if they have any questions, they can contact the people that are listed on the webpage. So. Great. Yeah. And it, and just to help support the, the case you're putting together, is there anything people can do? Um. They can contact me. That would be okay. great. Uh, okay. So it's Utah Cindy at yeah. protonmail.com. 
um, that will keep the people who respond to me and, and who I respond to confidential. Mm -hmm. I'm using that email address. So um, yeah, I highly recommend uh, if, if that's something you want to discuss and, and, and share and just feel like you're being heard. um, Yeah. I would definitely love to hear from audience. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you doing what you're doing and for you taking the time to share all this with me today. If you have anything else that you want to add or share with us, please do. You know, I think this is a great place to wrap up this conversation, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's all ending on a happy note. I guess you would say Uh, the fact that we just have people now starting to address this issue is just leaps and bounds over what the situation was just even five, five, six years ago. So I'm thrilled that these conversations are going to start to happen and more and more people are going to find out there is actually a documentary coming out specifically on ritual abuse within the Mormon church. Wow! So um, I'm not exactly sure when it's going to be ready, but it will be coming. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I do think that's silver lining. I, you know, I always say the Great Awakening combats the Great Reset. So I think that p- people raising awareness is the first step, right? So more people tuning in and becoming aware of what's going on, that hopefully that will lead to people doing something about it. So Exactly. When, when the newspaper and the media start to say, hey, this is really happening, then people put pressure on their politicians and their representatives to do something. And that's what we need, especially in Utah, where nobody's dealing with it. But if the the population and the court of public opinion prevails, I know that there will be pressure for the state to actually start looking into these cases more. So that's hopeful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Laws changed here in Utah, for sure. One of them is a priest privilege, priest penitent privilege is what it's called. And it's throughout all 50 states. And what the priest penitent privilege says is that anything that is um, told to a clergy, a bishop, a pastor, uh, by a member of their church is considered private and confidential and the bishop or the clergy does not have to report it and they don't have to testify. So part of the problem is that we have a very, uh, we have the priest penitent privilege law fully enforced here in the state. And it's, I've been told it's primarily the LDS church and the Catholic church that wants to keep it in place. But they are considered the clergy, the priests, the bishops are mandatory reporters in this state. And so the law needs to change so that if any pastor or bishop hears a child come to them and say, this is what happened to me, they are forced to contact law enforcement and, and report it. Yeah. Uh, so that law needs to be done away with first and foremost. Right. And I'll be standing behind legislation and see there are two representatives in our state that have submitted bills regarding this. And so I'll be watching that very carefully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This seems as secrecy seems to be the, uh, the common thread between uh, bad things. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Secrecy is what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all of the uh, the bad things can't per- perpetuate without the secrecy. So the yeah. secrecy and the threats. Correct. Right. Yeah. The threats. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say there it, it wasn't my line, uh, but uh, it was from none dare call it conspiracy. And they, they say conspiracy can only survive in the dark. Um you know, because conspiracies actually do exist, but they can only survive in the dark. But what I add to that is, and therefore it's incumbent upon light to be shine, shined on it to expose it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's not conspiracy if it's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, there's a lot of things that have been called conspiracy theories that actually ended up being true. Uh, Hunter Biden laptop. For example. So, um, yeah. Well, I sneezed on it, so therefore it's true, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's okay. We all know where that was at, but I remember liberals, and I don't want to get this political, but I remember liberals saying, oh, it's made up, it didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. Now we all know it's true. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, conspiracies actually exist, and conspiracy theories are just theories put forth. And that that is actually part of the scientific method, right? You put forth a theory and then you test the hypothesis, but yeah. you can't test the hypothesis if you've never had a theory in the first place. So, yeah. So really, conspiracy theories are just, uh, you know, connecting some dots and saying, OK, it looks like all these arrows point in this direction. Maybe we should go investigate. And yes. then you find out it's either true or it's false or inconclusive. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to talk to you and be a part of this podcast. And I just hope it reaches the right people and helps someone out there. Yeah. Likewise. I, I really hope that just by, I, I'm going to continue to talk about it. Uh, you're clearly not stopping. So I hope more people continue and that more people will start to listen and, you know, open up their, uh, their hearts and their minds and ears and eyes to, you know, the fact that this is real and that something needs to be done about it. So, yeah. So, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.